All right. You have a Bible? Why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, please? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. And the message entitled, God's Role for Slaves. Paul deals with the last group that was included as part of the household and family in the days of Paul. That of servants and masters and their relationship to one another in chapter 5. Uh, or chapter 6 here, verse 5, uh, all the way down to verse 9. First comes the um, servants, then the masters. To many of us, the concept is very foreign, but in Paul's day, it was the norm and part of the culture. The very same principle is central here as in the rest of the family that we've covered. Authority and submission by being born again, enabled by the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 5.18. Keep on keeping on being filled with the Spirit of God. That precedes the whole section of the family. If you're not a man or woman of the Word of God and filled with the Spirit, you will have terrible time with your flesh as a Christian. You will not be able to do what God calls you to do. It's impossible in your own abilities, as nice as you may think you are. And so we will examine first the role of servants and then the role of masters next time. The role of servants is characterized by three things. Let me read here, verse 5 down to 8. He says, Bond servants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as man pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service. As to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And so the role of um, servants or slaves here is characterized by the following. First, the command of obedience, the first part of five. Second, the manner of obedience, the remainder five, all the way to verse seven. And then you have the reason for obedience in verse 8. The command, the manner, and the reason. The command of obedience comes first. Listen, bond slaves, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. The Apostle Paul noticed instructed the servants pertaining to this household. They were part of the family. Something that to us, and maybe if you go to third world country, many of them have a living maid. And maybe she's been 10, 15 years. That's a common thing also. And they live there. And they're part of the family. Now, because we have a lot of um, uh, people coming up from Mexico and Central South America, sometimes they'll bring and they'll have their living maid here also. It's the same thing. But to us, it's foreign. Now, Paul indicated the particular type of servant, notice, by using a very specific word, a bond servant. It means a slave by choice, be it due to economic situations, debt, or having been bought. This goes back to the Hebrew culture, as you know, in the Old Testament. As a man would serve for six years, the seventh year he would be allowed to be released, having paid his debt. But at the end of the seventh, seventh year, if he didn't want to be released after six, he would say to his master, I want to serve you for life, my devotion to you. So he would grab him, take him to the doorpost of the house, an awl and a hammer, put a 
hole in his ear, put an earring on it. When you saw a man with an earring, it meant he was a bond slave. He loved his master so much that he served them for life by choice. This is the word that is being used here, going back to the Hebrew culture, but it's in the Greek. Now, you find this in Exodus 21, 1 through 6, as well as Deuteronomy 15, 17. There were about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. One third of the population were slaves. Slaves were inherited, purchased, acquired by debt, or as prisoners of war. And for many of them, it was the best thing for them because they would never survive otherwise. It was a different world. Most labor was done by slaves because work was thought to be beneath the Romans. There were good relationship between masters and slaves at times, but not many. Most were not very good. Some slaves were educated to be personal doctors, teachers, secretaries, artists, actors, for their masters and families, as well as individuals related to high-level political positions that were enslaved, while some were given their liberty or freedom at times. Basically, a slave was considered a thing, not a person. Paul understood this, but he's a Christian now, and he has to deal with this issue in society. Aristotle laid it down that there could never be friendships between a slave and a master. He said, a slave is a living tool. Varro writes on agriculture, dividing the instruments into three classes. Ready? Articulate. Slaves, matriculate, cattle, mute, tools. <laughs> wow. Cato advised a new farmer to go over it and to throw it out and throw out everything old or of no use. And old slaves were to be put on the scrap heap to starve. If he can't work, why feed him, they said. Gaius, a Roman lawyer in the institution, in the institutes laid down, he said, quote, We may note that it is universally accepted that the master possesses the power of life and death over the slave. If he ran away, he was branded on the forehead with an F for fugitive. Augustus crucified a slave because he killed a pet quail. Vidius Pulio flung a slave still living to the savage lampreys in his fish pond for dropping and breaking a crystal goblet. Juvenal tells of a Roman matron who ordered a slave to be killed simply because he lost, she lost her temper. He also tortured a slave for the failure to find a couple of towels. As you can see, slaves weren't really valued very much, uh, but there were some that were valued much if you put a lot of money into it, doctors and so on and so forth, so you put up a little bit more. It was just a commodity. A Roman writer summed it up to say this, whatever a master does to a slave, 
undeservingly, in anger, willingly or unwillingly, in forgetfulness, after careful thought, knowingly, it's judgment, justice, and law. In other words, it didn't matter. No one would touch you. Now, you remember Philemon. Paul wrote a letter to Philemon when he was in prison. And he wrote about the runaway slave that Philemon had. He ran to Rome. He got thrown in prison. Paul found him there. As Paul was there. And he got saved. And he sent Philemon back with a letter uh, as Paul intercedes that Philemon might forgive him and accept him as a brother now. He was still a slave, but now even more as a brother. And so the whole book of Philemon has that background. Now the Apostle Paul, notice, indicated only one command to the bondservant. The command was clear and simple, to obey. The word obedient there is um, the same word as used for children that we saw in chapter 6, verse 1. And the word hupo, kuo, hupo under and kuo, to give ear or audience. Um, slaves and children are addressed in this word, never the wife. Never, as we pointed out. This is a command in the present imperative, an active, ongoing condition due to their personal position as slaves. Colossians says the exact same thing, but adds, in all things, fearing God. In Colossians 3, 22. Remember, Ephesians, Colossians are very much alike. They have a lot of similarity, but they're from different perspective. The word appears 21 times in the New Testament. It is used of the winds and waves which Jesus commanded to be still in Matthew 8, 27. It is used of obedience to sinful lust in our sin nature in Romans 6, 12. The obedience notice is specified to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Those having authority over those bondservants were their own masters. Not every master. But their own masters. The word master, kurios, means the possessor, the disposer of a thing. The rightful owner. The owner and superior was to be honored and respected. That's different from the worldly perspective. All of a sudden, Paul understands that even though we live in a fallen world, there are certain principles and rules that should be followed. Even those who were under authority and sometimes in very... Very difficult situations. The same word is used for the lordship of Jesus Christ. Kurios. If you've ever um, been to other countries, and say Mexico in other words, one of the ways that you address people, Señor, Sir, Lord. Señor is Lord. Answer. It depends which way you use it. Now, the reference is qualified to be other human beings. Notice he says, according to the flesh. This phrase refers back to the masters who have authority over them in the external and the material realm, but not that they are superior to them. No person is superior to another. We're all created in the image and likeness of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all are sinners lost on our way to hell until Christ saves us. Men categorize themselves. Um, our nation is going through uh, a horrible time of going backwards and putting everything as racism and, and uh, allowing permissiveness for everything to be learned, even corrupt things, and yet trying to call it um, 
openness and diversity. But diversity means different. And they define diversity as the same. They need to read the dictionary. Um, The reference again here is to these masters. The flesh is used uh, to identify either sinful nature or um, those who are human according to the flesh. In other words, there are human beings just like you. The context will tell you which one it is. By this command, notice, Paul recognized and was teaching servants that obedience to earthly masters is not superior to that of Christ, which is spiritual and eternal. The earthly is inferior and temporal, and it's given as an example of Christ, as we're going to see. Because some people, the only thing they're ever going to see closest to the gospel is your life. They're not going to listen to you. They're going to watch you. There are about 30 million people living under some form of slavery today. It's hard to believe. In our modern world, living as forced labor, forced prostitution, child soldiers, child brides, and forced marriages, and in all ways that matter as pieces of property chattels in the servitude of absolute ownership. The organization Walk Free investigated 162 countries and found slaves in every single one of them, but the practice is far worse in some countries than others, particularly Islamic countries. So much for a loving religion. I always tell people, Go live over there and come back and tell me about it. You won't be back if you try to press your liberty and rights. (laughs) Impossible. Some often accuse Christians of condoning slavery due to the things that are taught by Paul. But that is absolutely wrong. Paul recognized the pressing condition of slaves to be a part of the fall and the evil of man in the present Roman Empire. Paul in no way attempts to reform or oppose slavery, knowing that the consequences of 60 million slaves being freed in the Roman Empire will result in their utter inability to provide or protect themselves. It would have been genocide. And God understood that. Rather, he calls them to be examples where they are. Because how is it that people come to believe the gospel? When they see it on two legs. Then you have the right to preach. And then they listen. And the Holy Spirit convicts them and brings them to Christ. Galatians 3.28 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus when you're a Christian. That's why none of, us, none of us should ever allow the politicians to divide us by race, by color, by anything. You may be black, you're just a black sinner. You may be brown, you're just a brown sinner. That's how I see you. But I don't see you as black and white. I just see you as sinners. Just like I. Makes no difference. 
And so as Christians, everything is put aside. We're one in Christ Jesus. That middle wall of partition has been broken down. Colossians 3.11 says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. You know who the Scythians were? There were nomadic tribes up in the north by, by Russia who took their captives, decapitated them, and then boiled and skinned their skulls and used them as drinking goblets. Paul says they can be saved if they repent. I presume you qualify. Slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. You know, God denounces slavery as we've been studying the um, minor prophets. I'm sure that you've uh, remembered many of the passages. But let me give you one in Amos 8, 6, uh, where it's denounced. That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. And this was the practice that was going on there as Amos is Declaring the word to the northern kingdom. They were merchandising and selling and imprisoning people as slaves. For a pair of shoes, wine, whatever it may be. God will judge the Antichrist and the world that will be involved in human slavery. Did you know that? Listen to Revelation 18, 11 through 13. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls for fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron, wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object and most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon and incense, Fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, listen, and bodies and souls of men. The world never changes because man never changes. Man loves to rule over people, to impose their authority, to inflict pain, simply to be in control and in power. Whether they be kings, dictators, or politicians, doesn't matter. Whether it be the big bully on the block, it doesn't matter. It's our nature. Philemon, verse 15 through 17 says, Paul says, For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brethren, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. Paul interceding for the runaway slave who is now a Christian. We live in a fallen world and Christianity is not going to Christianize the system of evil or convert the world. As those who teach kingdom and dominion theology and quote, quote, Christianity today. Oh, the world's going to get better. We're going to get, you know, uh, Christians in the White House and in the Senate. And we're just going to all become Christians. Shut up. What Bible are you reading? One over a Cracker Jack box? Do they sell those anymore? <laughs> Yet wherever the gospel has ever gone and preached, people have become Christians and transformed society. One by one. And builds up and exalts and protects the woman, children, and the family. 
Islam has nothing on Christianity. It's night and day. It's a facade. Christians do not believe or practice slavery, but rather see all human lost and under the wrath of God, as I stated earlier, in need of salvation and then becoming one in Christ. In uh, Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off, speaking about the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, that separating wall that was in the temple. It said in writing, in Hebrew, you go beyond this point, you're a dead person, Gentile. <laughs> Let each one remain in the same calling, Paul says, whether he is called, were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with, the, with God in the state in which he was called. So wherever God has placed you and I, you're to serve him wholeheartedly in obedience to him. The command of obedience to bond servants is to be for those in Christ. He's not asking this of non-believing bond slaves, only of Christians. It's wrong for us to try to demand Christian principles on non-believers. You tell her you shouldn't be living with your girlfriend. Why not? He would say. And how can you demand that of them or expect that? They're going to do exactly what comes natural, right? Whatever society allows them. They have no way to restrain. They're not born again. They don't have the Holy Spirit. So they are unable to do what God calls them. And God doesn't call the non-believer to live as a Christian. He calls them to be saved first and then... He says, I'll enable you to live like a Christian. Now notice secondly in verse 5 there in the middle, all the way down to 7, we have the manner of obedience. The Apostle Paul instructed first here dealing with their attitude. Attitudes are always the most important. Actions will go away and change. The attitude is the most important. Keep that in mind. With fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. Regarding their perspective, with fear and trembling. Fear, phobos, describes dread and terror as well as reverence. Context will indicate, I believe both are implied here in our text, fear about their possible severe treatment if they disobey and respect as a witness. And it, could, it would go well with them. Both are included. The negative instructions, notice, are for positive outcome. Being honest, not neglecting one's responsibility with respect and dignity. They're believers, though they're slaves. Likewise, the word trembling describes anxiety of not trusting one's own ability to meet the requirement, but trusting the Lord for it. The word is found four other times in the New Testament. It's used for the woman who visited the tomb in Mark 16, 8. It's used of Paul when present to minister at Corinth in 
1 Corinthians 2, 3, he came in fear and trembling. The city of Corinth was so corrupt, he wanted to leave there. And God said, no, I have a church I want to build here. And he stayed there 18 months. It's use of the reception of Titus by the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7, 15. It's used of the believer's attitude to work out his own salvation in Philippians 2, 12. Fear and trembling. The two words complement one another. Paul said to the Corinthians, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. 1 Corinthians 2, 3. Now, Paul said regarding Timothy, and his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all how with fear and trembling you received him. Second Corinthians seven fifteen. And so Paul used these two words often together because they complement one another. Paul told the Philippians in Philippians two twelve, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more now, more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so, hear these same words regarding the bond slaves. Next notice, it's regarding their genuineness and sincerity of heart. Sincerity implies singleness or loyalty without duplicity or hypocrisy appearing seven other times in the New Testament. The word is used for Paul's ministry and life in 2 Corinthians 1.12. The word is used for the way Christians are to give of their finances in Romans 12, 8, 2 Corinthians 8, 2, 9, 11, and 13. And for the deceiving of Satan from the simplicity of Christ to believers in 2 Corinthians eleven three. The word heart, suki, it's not cardio like the one before. This is suki, it's the soul. It implies the intellect, the emotion, and the will. Your body is a vehicle for your intellect, emotion, and will. Your spirit is dead until you're born again. So your body is subject to your intellect, your emotions, and your will. And that's why we do the stupid things we do. And that's why we live for sin. Once you're born again, now your intellect, emotions, and will are subject to the Spirit of God that is alive in you. And now you're not a slave to sin, but you are a willful, choiceful slave to Christ by choice. Now you can say no to sin. Now you can submit yourself to Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. Then, regarding their attitude again, as to Christ. This is the submission and obedience. As if they were serving Christ Jesus, their Lord, and not this earthly master according to the flesh. Notice the Apostle Paul's instruction then dealt with their actions because attitudes are more important first. Not with eye service as man pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. First, regarding their honest practice, not with eye service. The phrase means service performed only under the master's supervision. It's a clear caution. It's a human trait. The negative implication, again, being when the master is not 
or is only present. They would not work as diligent and honest when he wasn't present. Now, if you've had a few jobs, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I would venture to say today in the workforce, and I've been out of the workforce for a long time out in the world, but um, even when I worked and and you worked or you got fired, out of an eight-hour job, probably people killed two hours in work just wasting it one way or the other. Paul is is really saying that you're to give 100% of your labors to wherever you work. And again, the application to employers, uh, employees here is towards our employers, and we can make those principles as we move along. But this negative implication, again, um, deals with... um, the attitude of the person so the actions come through their life. So they don't just have it in principle or in philosophy. Therefore, the negative warning produces a positive, genuine obedience towards Christ. Then he goes on to speak regarding being an opportunist as men-pleasers. The word man-pleasers means studying to place or to please man or courting the favor of man. In other words, you're doing what you're doing only under the presence of that supervisor or boss to get something from them, to benefit yourself. But the minute they're gone again, you feel no sense of continuing in that work that is genuine. That's what he's talking about. Colossians 3.22 says, Bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye servers as man pleasers. The exact same thing. Now notice when you get to the end of 6, down to 7, the Apostle Paul's instruction returns to deal with their attitude again. If you're a parent, you know that you have dealt with your children's attitudes more than their actions, and you're more interested in their attitudes than their actions. If you correct the attitude, the actions will be corrected. But if you're always dealing with the actions, they'll never cease. They'll just change. He says, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to man. The contrast is to be true from attempting to please men dishonestly, but rather acting as Christians, but as bondservants of Christ, he says there in verse 6. The implication being that the work they are doing is a servant by choice in the service of Christ. Not because I have to, though I feel the compulsion out of responsibility to Christ and what he did for me. But it's not that I'm being forced by a person. I'm being constrained by the conviction of the Spirit of God that dwells in me 
and my submission to Christ and what he's done in my life. That's what makes me who I am. The sister epistle, Colossians, says the same thing, but as fearing God, Colossians 3, 22 and 23. Now, recognizing that in such a place and position, God would use them for his glory to preach Christ. In other words, wherever you might be, wherever you might work, God has put you there as a light. You might be saying, ah, i got to get another job. All I have is a bunch of heathens. There's not one Christian. Really? Wow. God must really trust you. He's giving you a whole building of pagans? And you're the only believer? Wow. You must really be faithful and loyal to Christ. I'll be praying for you. Now I want to work with Christians. So we all want to get with Christians. Who are you going to witness to? Wow. Paul was used under his imprisonment to encourage those who had become timid in Christ. And they began to preach the gospel and people were being saved. In fact, even says the Praetorium Garden says, Hi, the elite guard of Caesar. Some of them have been saved in Philippians 1, 12 through 18. He says, you know, some people are preaching out of content, trying to add hurt to me. Others are being bold about it. And who cares as long as Christ is preaching? And by the way, Praetorium Guard says hi. <laughs> They've come to the Lord. Amazing. The work is to be wholehearted. Listen, doing the will of God from the heart. Committing oneself to the perfect and the revealed will of God. Paul was falsely accused, as you know, of defiling the temple by bringing in Gentiles. And he was arrested, and he was able to preach to Felix, to Festus, to Agrippa, and Bernice, knowing the will of God was that all be saved in Acts 24 and 25. Paul understood that God placed him in those difficult situations to preach the gospel. In fact, when he appealed to Caesar, he says, you must appear before Caesar, and you'll preach to him too. Acting on the word of God not their emotions and circumstances. That's what he's calling for. Too often we make decisions and we uh, make our obedience conditioned upon, do I feel like it? Is it comfortable? The Bible is not... The new message today, I I heard um, uh, someone was telling me that that, um, Greg Laurie was saying in an interview or something that God wants us to be happy. Show me that in the Bible. Happy is a byproduct of obedience. Nowhere the Bible say God wants us to be happy. <laughs> True happiness comes through obedience, through being transformed, walking with Jesus. The whole church is going cultural. Just like the world. I think the number one hit song about three years ago is happy, right? That Favorite song? Stupid. Crazy. Paul was told by Agrippa, you almost persuade me to be a Christian in Acts 26, 28. Hmm. You see, the proper intent is stated with goodwill, doing service 
goodwill means benevolence and kindness. It's found only one other time in the New Testament, translated benevolence in 1 Corinthians 7, 3. A ready willingness to do service, a slave by choice to Christ. The word service is dulo from the word bondservant. Paul said to Agrippa, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become as I am. And he raises chains, except for these chains, Acts 26, 29. That's kindness. That's benevolence. He was falsely accused. He was preaching Christ, desiring and hoping that they would be saved. Wow. It must have blown their mind. Delighting in doing God's will. Listen to Titus 2, 9 and 10. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Now, you ever read the New Testament? Paul says, say, I want you to be happy. Timothy, I want you to be happy. I want you to be wealthy. That's the message in many churches. The great majority of Christians, that's what they're preaching. Happy and wealth and health. Wow. They distorted the whole gospel. In fact, 1 Timothy 2, 18 through 21 says this. Servants. Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good, listen, and gentle, but also to the harsh, the evil. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Wow. When's the last time you heard a sermon on that? The proper perspective and attitude is again stipulated. Listen, as to the Lord and not to man. As if service was being done to Jesus in spite of the difficulty or the suffering. Not as doing their service to men, realizing they are not true lords. 1 Corinthians seven twenty one and 22 says, Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Paul tells Timothy in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 1 and 2. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own master worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Wow. And those who have believing masters, now there's Christians 
masters. He says, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. First Timothy 6, 1 and 2. So in other words, if you have a Christian master, he's telling the believing slaves, then be obedient, do all you can, because it's going to benefit others and help others. But don't take advantage and say, well, we're bros, right? I don't have to work today, right? You know how it is. Carnal Christians, you know? Titus 2, 9 and 10 says, For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, those to be saved, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So the New Testament has much to say about slaves. And how we are slaves of Christ. Dr. Daniel Pipes, New York Post, July 30th, 202. Listen, besides being practiced more or less openly today in Sudan and Mauritania, there is evidence that slavery still continues beneath the surface in some majority Muslim countries as well. Notably, Saudi Arabia, which only abolished slavery in 1962, Yemen and Oman, both of which ended legal slavery in 1970, and Niger, which didn't abolish slavery until 2004. In Niger, the ban is widely ignored, and as many as one million people remain in bondage. Slaves are bred, often raped, and generally treated like animals. Robert Spencer the persistence of Islamic slavery, says the worst, most inhumane, and most diabolical institution of the black African slave trade was initiated, refined, and perpetuated and implemented by the Mohammedan Arabs and later aided and abetted by the black converts of the Mohammedan Islam. And today... Christians are the targets. Christian women and children, their soul, they're taken in prison in the Sudan and other places. Someone should tell President Obama as if he doesn't know. Of course he knows. You might tell Black Lives Matter. Lies, I said. <laughs> Not lives. Okay, ignorant people today have no understanding of history, past or present, live in their own little sandcastle world. Wow. Paul recognized that men and women are more prone to demand the rights rather than to do their duty in this fallen state. Men lose the fear of God and become presumptuous at their jobs, often. The fear of God will unite your heart with God. Men usually work only when under supervision, under, in order to please the person if there's an advantage, as we've noted. God's omnipotence will produce constant and quality work. 
that I'm aware that He is omnipresent. He's always there and He's able to fill me with the Spirit and He's able to give me the abilities and that I want to please Him. That makes all the difference in the world. Men often fail to see themselves as servants of Christ fulfilling the will of God when they find themselves in difficult situations at work. As long as everything's good and, you know, getting raises and getting along, but difficult things and people... Just right away, they say, well, it's not God's will for me to be here. And I'm always amazed how fickle Christians are and how, you know, they can go from the spirit to the flesh in a thousand of a second. Um, the recognition of being Christ's servant will cause me to do all with goodwill as unto the Lord, not man. And I'll always be thankful for whatever job I have. You know, when I first graduated from college, I just got married my senior year, and here I have a B.A. and everything, and couldn't find a job, and I've always worked all my life. And, um, and, and, and uh, so a friend of mine helped me to get into Johnson Pump over there in Glendora, and I was working, and um, a few months later, and they had slowed down, and they bumped me off, and I was the bottom rung, and all that was left was to sweep the floor. Here I have a B.A., in Spanish and and, um, and uh, PE and and uh, and I said, well, the guy says all there is is I said, well, let me have the broom. I swept for two hours, and they approached me to replace a twenty-year-old guy that was retiring from the from the expedition uh, department to expedite all the materials. You see, it didn't make any difference to me whether I was grinding or I was sweeping. I had a wife; I had to provide. Doesn't make any difference. I've poured some men. I've worked for Prano Markets. I've taught gymnastics. I've run computers. I've, you know, you name it. Everybody on staff has worked in the world in different things. Work is good. Today, nobody wants to work, but they want the money. Entitlement. Wow. $14 to flip burgers? Wow. Must be a good burger. No, it's only going to be an expensive burger. Let no one despise your youth. Be an example of the believer in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. 1 Timothy 4.12. So, because he was of the same trade, we're told, Paul, he stayed with, an, uh, uh, with this married couple, um, Achille and Priscilla, because they were tent makers in in Acts 18.3. And Paul worked with his own hands, making tents. He told that to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 4. Paul was an example wherever he went. He told the Thessalonians, we didn't take anything from you. We didn't want to burden you. We, we work with our own hands night and day. Wow, what an example. A Christian should be the best example to an employee. Or an employer, it is an employee. Where he is, or she, or where they work. Not being late or taking longer breaks or lunches than they should. By not witnessing while you're working. You want to witness? Get there before you have to start work. Witness at your break. Witness during your lunch break or after work. Do not witness while you're working. But they ask me a question. Say, you know what? I'll talk to you on break time. You be an example. Don't rob your employer. Simple. Not gossiping or complaining like all the unbelievers. Not being concerned about those who can... Uh, see you, but God who can see your heart. For even when we were with you, we commanded 
you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but our busybodies doing those. Uh, now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. So the manner of obedience by bond servants is to be as unto Christ. The third one is one verse only. The reason for obedience. Look at verse 8. The Apostle Paul stated the true person to reward the service of each bond slave, God. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. This is the fruit of knowing the character of God. He is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows every intent of the thought. He knows every motive of the heart. He knows every person. He is perfect in every one of his attributes and holiness, goodness, kindness, justice, love, so on and so forth. He makes no mistakes. Knowledge brings responsibility. Luke twelve forty five says, To those that much is given, much is required. James 3, 1. Let there not be many teachers, for to them will receive the stricter judgment. James 1.25, we are not to be only hearers of the word, but doers. Knowledge brings settled peace and rest, knowing that the Lord will reward our obedience, even through sufferings. The reference to the same there indicates God will reward the bondservant in kind to the good done to their masters. The word good, agathos, means salutary in nature, useful, pleasant, and beneficial. The word receive simply has the idea of coming back to you. This is sowing and reaping. You sow in kind, you reap in kind, right? So if you sow beans, don't expect watermelons. All right? The one to reward is the Lord. Notice, they were not to look for their reward from the earthly master. They most likely would never receive that reward from him in those days. They were believers. And their masters sometimes were believers and sometimes they were not. And if they were believers and faithful, they might have a much better life. But they were not to abuse the relationship and lose sight that they are the masters and they were the slaves. Again, the word kurios indicates for Jesus Christ here, the one who will reward us. Colossians says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Colossians 3.24 then notice there at the end of verse 8, the Apostle Paul stated that the true status of a person, listen, does not matter to God. doesn't matter to him whether he is slave or free. The position of a slave is one who is in a position of greater difficulties most of the time. Jesus will reward every slave that suffers for his name. Jesus will reward every slave that served their masters faithfully. Jesus will reward every slave that did all things as serving him. Jesus is not going to show favor to the slave over the free or the free over the slave. 
but he will reward them according to their obedience. You see, the position of a free person is one of greater opportunity. Jesus will look at the intent and motive of the heart. Hebrews 10.35 says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his works shall be. Revelation 22.12 Jesus will look at the service, if it is with eye service or to the Lord. We have many parables of reward by our Lord. One day Jesus will say, well done, that good and faithful servant, Matthew twenty five twenty one. Jesus said, blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing, Luke twelve forty three. Jesus will reward us as stewards of what God has given if we have multiplied it, Luke 19. Colossians says, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Colossians 3.25. Wow. When 20th Century Fox advertised a New York paper to fill a vacancy in their sales force, one applicant replied, listen carefully, quote, I am at present selling furniture at the address below. You may judge my ability as a salesman if you will stop in to see me at any time, pretending that you are interested in buying furniture. When you come in, you can identify me by my red hair, and I will have no way of identifying you. Such salesmanship as I exhibit during your visit, therefore, um, will be no more than my usual workday approach and not a special effort to impress or a prospective employer. For among the 1,500 applicants that applied, the redhead got the job. This is just how he worked. He had no way, he wasn't looking to impress or change gears, just the way it is. The believer is to give his employer a full day's work. Paul recognized that eternal reward is what the believer is to live for, not the temporal. Men are prone to be ensnared by the earthly benefit alone as employees rather than the heavenly promise being of being the best employer an employee towards the employer men cannot see the motive of the heart but God can so God is the one we are to um, be concerned about more than anything men in spite of such knowledge will serve with a divided heart only when seen rebelling against the will of God and with a bad will at times doing service only to themselves, losing all reward. There will be reward loss at the beam of seat of Christ. Listen to um, 1 Corinthians three twelve through 15. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it is 
to be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each man's work of what sort it is. If any man's works has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's works are burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So, as by fire, wood, hair, stubble, silver, gold, precious stone, right? The beam of seek judgment will be based on our motives and the intents of the heart. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. That's the motives, the intents. Then each one will have praise that comes from God. God's not going to reward you for how much you've done. He's going to reward you why you did it and how you did it. Our judgment on earth is often imperfect. But at the beam of seat of Christ, those judgments will be perfect. Listen, Romans 10, 14, 10 says, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the beam of seed of Christ. Speaking to the Corinthians again in 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Paul says no one gets away with anything. And he's talking to believers. Listen. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in his body. According to what he has done. Whether good or bad. The reason for obedience by the bond servant is to be rewarded by Christ. So in this difficult world that Paul lived in, this inhumane institution that existed, he knew that the only way to deal with it was through the preaching of the gospel. And as you know, as history teaches us, the Roman Empire did away with slavery once the gospel was preached much. The role of servants is characterized here by these three things. The command of obedience by a bondservant is a B for those in Christ. The manner of obedience by a bondservant is to be unto Christ. And the reason for obedience by the bondservant is to be rewarded by Christ. No one else. Employee, Next week, we'll hit employers, the masters. Lord, thank you for your love and your grace, your goodness. Deal with our hearts, and we thank you for tonight. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Whether you're over the radio or the Internet, if you see yourself as a sinner, you can repent of your sins, and Christ will save you right now. This is your prayer to him, simple and straightforward. Father, forgive me for all my sins. I accept your Son as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Spirit. I love you, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.